0: Your Pizza Shop, located at 1200 8th Avenue Southwest in Largo, offers a great selection of personalized pizzas, pastas, and calzones, as well as delicious wings, subs, salads, and tasty desserts. Enjoy the relaxing atmosphere and scenic view overlooking Pinecrest Golf Course. Remember, for the finest pizza anywhere, takeout, delivery, or catering, call 581-1101. That's 581-1101. Or order online at yourpizzashop.com.
1: Hi, this is Jay Leno, and you're listening to my favorite nostalgic radio and cars.
0: All right, we're here in downtown Carmel, and we're at an event that's called Carmel by the Sea Concourse on the Avenue. And I'm here with the organizer of the event, Doug Freeman. Douglas, welcome to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And tell us a little bit how this whole event came to fruition. A
2: dream. We arrived here first in 1987 in Carmel. It was eeny, meeny, mighty mo. We stayed at the Cypress Inn. Literally down the street here. We stood on Ocean Avenue for the first time uh, during that period, the great days of August, and said, We got to do something here. And then it was a long odyssey. And in 2001, we started in earnest trying to uh, acquire our special use permit. Took five years with the city council. And uh, after that, in August of 2007, event year number one, this is event year number seven.
0: Now tell us a little bit about. What were some of the obstacles that you ran into initially? I mean, it took you a few years to get this thing into, into planning and then to, before the event finally took place. So what were some of the was, the, was the city, were they receptive for the car show? I mean, this is Pebble Beach, and this is Monterey, and it's a big car community anyway. So what were some of the the difficulties and challenges that you that faced you back in the day? Well, it,
2: it was very straightforward. We had to prove ourselves. We had to prove that we were capable. We had the desire. We can, we can make it happen. Bob, thanks for joining us up here that we could generate a show okay. and, and uh, make an event and do it in the right way with all the safety measures. You know, Carmel's a very tight... Uh, tight confines, and it's not easy to maneuver. 211 vehicles like we have this year, great cars. It's not easy to get everything staged in, staged out. And uh, we had to prove that little by little by little, and that took time to talk through. But Carmel, the city's been fantastic
0: to us. Oh, it's a great community with a lot of history. Now, let me ask you this. What are some of the criteria? Let's say, for example, if I wanted to bring my car to your event, what would I have to do?
2: Well, it's very straightforward. You go to our website, Motor Club Events. Dot com uh, about January, and you download our application for entry, and you fill it out, you send it to me, it arrives in my mailbox. I'm kind of like a kid in a candy store. I love the applications when they arrive. I vet each application. We hand it off to our entry selection committee. We're seriously thankful. We get about two for every space available, and uh, that's really a fortunate thing. And we make the selections to create the day in a compelling way uh, kind of uh, destination, compelling event, compelling uh, vehicles, compelling crowd, owners, uh, it's all important.
0: Now, one thing I like about your show, it's a very relaxed atmosphere. Although it's a judged event, it's still very relaxing. There's a lot of people here, a lot of spectators. Everybody seems to have a good time. Now, what are some of the differences between the first year and, let's say, like, today, for example? I mean, some of the, the, the transitions that you experience that make your event much more fun and much more entertaining and and enjoyable for some of the participants.
2: Well, speaking transparently, it's really straightforward there as well. Our mission statement is sophistication with a dash of fun, where authenticity, originality, and preservation matter, all in a welcoming atmosphere. And that was our mission statement before year number one. It's still our mission statement today. And we really believe that that's uh, important. We believe that hospitality is something that happens for you as a kind of surprise not to you and if you really think about that that's what's important to us and that leads to what we are and i see really no difference in year number one and year number seven other than we've grown up we have more craziness more fun more uh more uh entries our first year was 134 on our Concorde Avenues, which is what we call the streets of Carmel. And uh, now we're 211 this year. That's because we've learned our event venue, we've learned how to stage this many vehicles in, in the short staging period again, in the tight confines of Carmel. And I could talk forever about it, but that's the essence of it our mission statement.
0: Is there a limited number of cars? I mean, are you limited to, let's say, 200, 220, 235? There's cars? no limit. There's, There's no, no limit. limit. Okay Doug, it seems like you're kind of a real car guy too. So from, from, from your perspective, you're a car enthusiast and I noticed that you have a lot of different classes of cars here. So you got sports cars, you got race cars, you got trans cars, you got classic cars, you got vintage cars, you got some amazing selection of cars. Are you a car guy?
2: I am. I mean the long and the short of the story, at ten years old I received my weekly copy of Sports Illustrated magazine. And it was the issue in March of 59, I'm 10, Phil Hill sitting on the nose of a TR, I had no idea who he was, what it was, read the article for the first time, read the word Ferrari, and one thing led to another, and years and years and years of collecting Ferrari stuff, I'm a six-year president and national chairman of the Ferrari Club of America, from 95 through 2001, a many-year member. And uh, we've just done so so much related to collector cars, but also, you know, a kid who went to eighth grade in 1962 in fall, right through 67, graduating high school, mid-year Corvettes tracked high school. I don't have to tell you the rest of the story. The stuff of dreams from your high school parking lot and mine, and, you know, a whole long string of mid-year Corvettes, never could afford new ones, always three- and four-year-old ones that we knew how to work on, we could fix them in our parents' driveways, or when we moved out of home in our apartment uh, community driveways, and they were easy to understand, and a little small toolbox could do most everything. And and uh, but then you know I got really seriously involved with Ferrari Club of America and and uh, Ferraris from back in the day. And as an example, uh, we just well, I, I could I could ramble on forever. We've done so much with cars, and I could uh, tell stories forever. Uh, we moved to Brussels for a year, Jeannie and I, my wife and I, and I was the conservator. Simply closed my door at home, farmed out all our real estate management work, and moved to Brussels for a year. And uh, I was the conservator for FF Galleria, Ferrari Francois Galleria. Oh, uh, really? My collection was sold, or rather traded, really, to Jacques Swartz of the Acuri Francois Great Yellow Racing Cars of Belgium. Jack wanted to have his own, uh, collection of literature, models, memorabilia on the subject of Ferrari and Cal wanted a car he could provide me so he made a trade, my collection for the car and we would come there for a year and he built his private museum and we did fantastic things now I'm a a pretty serious car guy, I like to think, but anyway we've done a lot of good fun stuff and met car guys and gals all over the world, but in the end all of that none of that matters, the best part about cars is the friends you make along the way, cars are bridges to unbelievable friendships. In a million years, I might not stand here with you in this microphone talking about this without the car being a bridge to this. And I love that. The collector car community from around the world is this great, fantastic crew of people from all walks of life. They believe in all kinds of this religion, that religion, this politics, that politics. And none of it matters when you come together as the collector car community. Love cars?
0: That's it. It doesn't matter what end you're involved in. Well said, well spoken. Let me ask you this. So you've got done Carmel. This is the seventh year. How many more years do you plan to continue And do you expect to maybe go some other venues, other locations? Here? No,
2: no plans for anything else. This is it. the one thing I wanted to do. We plan to do it year in, year out until the end for me comes.
0: Wow. Well, Doug, I want to thank you very much for taking a few minutes to share some of the, your thoughts and your experiences and the whole event because it is one heck of an event. Well, got I'm to happy
2: to. Happy to be part of it. And happy to welcome you. Thank you very happy much. Happy to welcome your listeners. Okay, and then okay. also
0: you got the big awards coming up here in a little bit, don't Starting you? right now, just about. Okay, well, you just take it and we'll see you a little bit okay. we'll
2: Hang around and I will. You know, we regather the 16 down at the Cypress Inn. And uh, like last year when we met the first time. Right. And we'll uh, hopefully have a lot of fun. But right now, I've got to find that list. Okay,
0: now if people want to find out more about the concourse on the avenue, what do they yep.
2: do? Yep, uh, www.motor.com. Clubevents.com. M-O-T-O-R-C-L-U-B-E-V-E-N-T-S.com all run together. Okay. Go there. The application for entry is downloadable there. The 2014 application will be uploaded around January 14. And uh give it a go, see what happens.
0: This is definitely a musty event for everybody on the planet, wouldn't you say? Uh, I'd like to think that. Okay. I don't know
2: if I'd say that, but I'd like to think it.
0: Well best of luck to you. Thanks okay. very much.
3: Thanks. Okay.
0: Right now, this very minute, I'm sitting over here at Laguna Seca Raceway, and we got just about the beginning of the sports vintage race. Well, here they we go, guys. Can't say much when all that stuff's going on. Here they come. Looks like a uh, list of Corvettes out in front. Here's the roar of the Chevrolet. Old Maserati out there. A vintage Ferrari out there. Elvis. Wow, a devons out there. Two Devons are out there. Small block. Really, really, really cool stuff. There's no jags out there. I'm walking down pit row over here by the main pit. And so there's the uh, classic sports vintage late 50s, early 60s. I guess it was called hybrid cars. Okay, so the transend cars. Basically grinning right now, so it's really, really noisy. It's a lot of fun, and this is what I call stereo, guys. I'm sitting here at a little '63 Falcon, pulled just up. Mark Donahue, uh, Trans Am, AMX is out here. Peter Briggs, Trans Mustang, Goldberg, Trans Mustang, Marcella Jones, Trans Mustang. Here's up the 71, 70 real Trans Am, the Jerry Titus car, number 8 Firebird. Wicked little piece. I see Craig Jackson's over here getting ready to stage. He's sitting in his uh, number 3 Javelin. couple 67 Trans Am. Camaros are out here, 168, 167. Wait for the 69 to come out. NASDAQ 67 Mustang. It's a lot of excitement, guys. Nothing beats vintage racing. I wish this was more televised. Because this is kind of like a trip down memory lane back in the old days. Got another 67 Camaro pulling up right now. Oh, wow. Here comes the uh, Peter Raventlo. Peter Raventlo. Trans Am 69. Trans Am Mustang. It's so noisy I can't even think. Here comes the 69 Camaro. This looks like it could be a real Penske car. It could be a Penske, uh... Look out! But it sure looks like the real deal. since 1928. Here comes the uh, 74 Super Trans Am Mustang. Here comes the San Jose Trans Am Challenger. This should be an exciting race. Wish I could give you guys a play-by-play, but I can't get out there on the track. So I'm just sitting here in the pits, just uh, staring at these cool cars, man. Watch this history all around me. Really neat stuff. So. 68 Penske Camaro, wow, (laughs) this is really, really, really cool stuff. Like I said, there's a lot of privateer cars, there's a lot of original Genuine cars here, and the pizza good old American V8. This is cool stuff. Now keep in mind, pretty much most of these cars are in their rent They're built and raced in their original configuration. The only thing that they do to these cars, for the most part, is without any question, they do a lot of safety upgrades. So the safety upgrades are real, real important, obviously with brakes, suspension, things like that. You know, roll res- uh, safety restraints, you know, for the driver and everything. Unlimited craft. Unlimited stuff to do to the motor. You know, That's what racing's all about. Really nice looking 69, went past Here's another one. Oh, this is a 68 Brock Yates car. Tennessee beer car. There might be some history there, not quite sure. There's Vic Edelbrock's uh, 1969 George Fuller Trans Am pulling up. Pretty cool stuff. I can sit here all afternoon. This is my idea of fun, guys. You hardcore car car guys, you racers. One of the Lister Corvettes just came into the pit. Really nice aluminum body. Those cars usually ran like around the late uh, 50s. Skaglady cars were out there. They had small blocks Chevrolets in up. Uh, Carol Shelby actually had three Skaglady bodies. Both, all three of them had Chevrolet's. But the cars were so ill handling and they had so many mechanical issues with it. They failed. They didn't do very well on track. There's an old Vinnie Jaston Martin out there too. Well, they're starting up. All the trans cars are making a lot of noise getting rid of it. Get out of the track. Here comes the base car. So it's only seconds away from uh, some of the cars rolling out of the grid. This is pretty cool. Okay, here they go. I got them on both sides of me now. I'm sitting on that wall. I got them coming out of the pits. Going into the pit row. Wow. It's like swimming with Trans Am cars, man. Beats the transit car, I gotta tell you. got well, yeah, the last car going out. 69 Camaro. we we'll walk up to the grid, let's watch it take off. Okay, guys, Pace cars coming in. These guys are about to get the green flag, which is the big go. So up front, we got a Javelin, Camaro. Got a Trans Transit Boston 2, Transit Mustang. Mustang, Mustang. Mustang cars are coming in, 67 Camaro, one of the Cheetah cars. Now, I'm standing over here in pit row, and actually, when the cars come off the turn and head up the straightaway here underneath the bridge, there's actually a clock there, uh, or a readout there that will actually give you the the speed. So, a lot of these cars are averaging 125 to... uh, 130 miles an hour. So it'll be interesting to see once they make the first pass how fast they go underneath the bridge. They were just talking a little bit earlier how uh, Penske uh, was able to take the because there was a big big deal about the AMC here. But it was a, they were just talking about how uh, Penske was able to make the uh, the Javelin such a successful car. It did do real well in '70 because it was still a, in its trial year there. And then but in '71 they took all the boo and mistakes that they made in 1970, they completely redesigned the car in 71, and that's, of course, when Mark Donahue uh, went out and blew everybody's doors in and ran off with the uh, Am Championship. But also keep in mind, Ford was in the process of pulling out, Chevrolet was in the process of pulling out, so there really wasn't a lot of competitive cars for the 1971 season. But nonetheless, Penske literally cleaned up. Here they come, they're coming around the turn, so uh, we've got uh, one of the Penske travelers valuable, historical Trans-M cars, so they'll push it to a point, but they're not going to try to ball them up like they did in the old days, so, anyway, I'm going to go walk around to the pit area, and we'll see what we can find here for some cool, interesting uh, cars sitting in the pit area that might have some interesting history, maybe we'll talk to some people, I don't know, stick around, we'll be right back. You know, I'm walking to the pit area, as usual. And that's kind of a cool thing to do with the truck because you just never know what you're going to find. But you know what? I ran across this 69 AMX American Motors, and it says AMX Special. And it's in typical American Motors color. It's got a set of mini lights on it. got bulgy quarters. supposedly special ordered from American Motors by a guy in the southeast. And here's what's interesting. is I'm reading this little thing here where it talks about the races that this car competed in. Numerous races, including Road Atlanta, Gainesville. Culminating with a track championship at Lakeland Speedway. Heck, I used to race there back in the 70s. A couple of series highlights, including qualifying in the 1970 FIA, 12 Hours of Sebring, and at Daytona International Speedway. It is believed that the car also competed in IMSA, Camel Series, in 1974. This is interesting, and what's funny part about it is, I talked to the owner. The car is perfectly restored, and it is for sale, but the car was actually found in Tampa. Some guy has a blueberry farm down there. So, you know, it's just kind of wicked... And weird, because you just never know as you're walking through here, you know, what kind of cars you're going to find. I mean, we're talking, I'm walking through here, you see Ferraris, you see Elves, you see Oscars, you see Devons, you see Allard's, you see Porsches, obviously. Low, more Lolas, more Porsches. Uh, here's a bizzarini that's actually uh, race legal. Here's an old Honda Mini Trail, Trail 70, Trail 50, uh, a little Honda 175 Scrambler countless cool looking golf carts uh, just, I mean, you know, AC Cobra, here's another old vintage Porsche, um, just uh, you know what, it's just, it's, it's endless I mean, there's stuff here that, you know uh, it's so overwhelming, I can't think of all the names um, let's see, here's a Scarab, now there's something you don't see very often, and uh, here's an old vintage Maserati you know, I mean, and then of course, you know, you get the various types of Lolas that are out here, running around. and of course, you know, Corvettes and stuff Here's a row of 911s, early 911s, and there's a couple mid year Corvettes, BMW 2002, an old 328 BMW that somebody was making a race car out of. Actually, it's a BMW 315, 1935 model. How about that? Here's a BMW, uh, oh, what the heck do they call that thing? 700, I think, or something like that. Here's an 1800 BMW. Here's one of the Motocraft McLaren Capri Roush, Protofab cars. Uh, here's another vintage Alfa Romeo. Uh, here's another Abarth, 914 Porsche, a couple of Alpha GTVs, countless split window Corvettes. This one's actually owned by Mickey Thompson. Just, you know, and everybody's just having a good time. You talk about something that's truly a lot of fun and family-oriented. Uh, this is just, you know, vintage races are cool. I wish they were more televised. I wish they were more uh, exposure to them. I really wish they were more affordable, you know, because it's gotten really to be kind of a, you know, a deep pocket hobby, because the cars are so historical, and there's such a big demand for it, and it's just, uh, a lot of guys with a lot of, a lot of uh, affluence seem to be the guys buying these things. Here's a World of Aston Martins, here's a a DB4 GT, another Maserati, um, geez, here's another, another Ferrari 275 GTB, just, just cool stuff, you know, but anyway, transit cars are off the track right now, they're all heading back to the pit area, so I'm going to walk around and see what other kind of weird stuff I can find, you know, here's a 1917 Chevrolet 490 Speedster replica, re- I don't know, this might be a real one, yeah, I mean, as I'm reading this thing, the car was discovered back in the 50s, and uh, raced back years and years and years ago, and then it was rebuilt it was reunion, right in the 60s. Like, yeah, the race was all this life. Man, I just can't get over the stuff that's here. Really, Monterey. And I go to Daytona, vintage races. I go to vintage uh, races. I go to Road Atlanta Land every once in a while. But, and Sonoma Raceway. But I'll tell you what, Monterey probably has the biggest culmination of vintage race cars and race car participation and track venues out of all of them. I mean it is absolutely the best. I gotta tell you, the, the enthusiasm here, the, the participation, the caliber cars, the variety cars, just the mere fact that most of the cars happen to be in this part of the planet is probably why the one reason why the event is uh, so popular. Not only the fact that uh, Laguna Sega has amazing history to it behind it. It actually started out as the Pebble Beach Road Races back in the, I think, 1955 and then uh, 55, 56, 57, I believe they ran the races. And then during trials in 1957, somebody driving a Ferrari, I'm not sure who it was, lost control of a car. It was only a two and a half mile course. And, uh, and this is, again, this is during the trials. Um, practice runs, I guess. Hit a tree and uh, killed himself. So then they said, that's no more racing out here so then 1958 59 or whenever it was they built Laguna Seca which is uh, in the Carmel Valley or Salinas Valley whatever you want to call it and it's probably about uh, 10 miles from Monterey and it's out in the middle of nowhere and what's really cool is you got a lot of houses popping up around here so the people that live around here are predominantly uh, car enthusiasts which is kind of cool because trust me there's a lot of noise it's not like a baseball stadium or a football stadium. This is, this gets noisy. And there's, you know, motorcycle racing, car racing events that take place here all the time. So, but anyway, so I'm gonna be walking around here some more. I never know who I'm gonna meet, who's gonna be here. A lot of well-known people. I don't recognize all of them, but I will tell you, there's some pretty cool people. There. Here's an old vintage Lagonda. This is probably a 1929, two liter. Just kind of a cool car. Actually, there's a pair of them sitting here. And uh, they're out in the truck because I got a class for those cars. Here's an old Austin. This thing looks like it's probably somewhere around the 30s also. And it is, you know, something that they probably have a special class for. But it's small. It actually looks like a little uh, sprint car. So, anyway, I'm going to do, uh, walk around here a little bit more and see if I find some more interesting stuff. And I will tell you guys about it. So, stick around. More action coming. Hey, guys, I'm standing here looking at this 57 Thunderbird. I'm actually talking to the owner of the car. So what is your name, sir? John Miller. So tell us a little bit about this 57 Thunderbird here.
3: We built this 57 Thunderbird from a California car that is sold new in Los Angeles. Okay. With the help of Chuck Day, who was alive at the time, and with a, another gentleman by the name of Les Nemo at Nemo Machine, um, they had built a previous um, continuation car of the Daytona Beach 56 uh Thunderbird that Chuck had driven. Oh, really? In season, yes. Uh, He also drove a 57. After driving their car for them at a race, um, I was so enamored with it, I found a 57 the next year, restored it as a street car, drove it for two years, and then we did the modifications with the help of Chuck and Les, and decided to go vintage racing. We did club races with it and had a wonderful time. But we wanted to get in the Monterey Historic. So I begged Chuck Day to drive it for us, and he did in 2007. He did such a good job that Ford Motor Company awarded him the Center Award for the best Ford of the Monterey Historic.
0: Really? Now, he was originally involved in the 56 and 57 Fords that raced, the Thunderbirds that raced at Daytona? Yes, you
3: you see the picture? I out saw in the front. picture. Those yeah. are, are archived photos from uh, Ford Motor Company. Interesting. Is he yeah. still
1: alive
0: today?
3: Unfortunately, one year after he raced the car, he went into heart failure, and he was a heavy smoker from World War II. Okay. Uh, So he had multiple medical problems and
0: in and out of the hospital for three months and passed away. Sad, sad, sad. Tell us a little bit about the car. What kind of modifications did you do to the car to make the car? It's it's set up for road racing, correct? Yes. Okay, so tell us some of the little cool things you did to the car.
3: Essentially, very little. Um, They had already done the 56 car. Apparently, they are out of the box. They are 50-50 as far as balance. Weight bias? Weight bias. In other words, they're very easy to drive quickly. Um, What you do is you take the motor and and lower it and put it back about six inches. That really helps a lot. Okay. Then you make a much bigger sway bar in the front. Okay. You cut a little bit of the springs, just enough to lower it a a, a little bit, and then you put Coney shocks on it. We also can box the forward A-arms, and there's A arms, and there's a modification that lessons can do on that.
0: Okay.
3: We took the automatic transmission out since we're going against Corvettes. The uh, vintage people allowed us to put a Ford top loader transmission. We could be period and have a three-speed with overdrive. Okay. And that would have been legal. But the car already came with a single hauling four-barrel and a nine-inch Ford rear end, so it was very easy to to find parts for it and, and to build it. Y-block parts are also quite easy to build, and uh, as you know, the, the 312 engine is is pretty stuff, pretty tough, and it's uh, it was a natural progression of the 272, 292. But the way Les figured this out, but by the way, he did it with help of a Y-block magazine. There, there's a Y-block club, a group. Yes that, that uh, has this very fanatical magazine that, that won't even mention the word Chevrolet. Okay, well, that's, and, uh, that,
0: I can go for that. Yes. I, I believe Blue.
3: Okay, there the you go. Guy. There mm-hmm. you go. Well, you'd love that, and you'd love less. Okay. Uh, I was a neutral guy. I'm a, I'm a small-bore racer who races Morgans. Okay? okay. At any rate, loving these guys, Chuck and Les, um, I decided, and, and racing their, their 90, you know, their 56 model, I wanted to make this 57. So what they did was they took a 292 block, put a 312 uh, crank in it, ground it down because it had had smaller smaller journals, but that made a stronger lower end, and the the 292 has a stronger lower end. We put rebop castings, available uh, alloy parts, on the intake manifold, the water pump, and the front cover. That saved quite a bit of weight. Now, you can find aluminum uh, with Mummert, as John Mummert in San Diego is building uh, wide lock aluminum
0: heads that oh, have been
3: really? Yes, and those are available. They're Is about, that
0: what's on there? No. No, okay. <laughs> these, just say, they could have been and you painted them. But. Right. No,
3: these are heads that I find. I, I bought several engine wide lock engines off of eBay locally in California. And so the, the block was bought by a friend. Uh, the alloy parts were bought from a dealer, but I found the ECCG heads. With over two-inch
0: valves, those are Thunderbird heads. Those
3: are the Thunderbird well, th- that They were they were on the motor, mm-hmm. and uh, so if those are flowed and uh, you know ported and polished, you have yourself a nice situation. Good set of heads. Also with the two ninety two uh, block and the uh, the ground three twelve crankshaft. You can then, it's it makes it a slight stroker, and you can okay. actually put Chevy or other rods in there, okay. or, or billet the, rods.
0: And stroke the engine. Basically. And stroke the engine. Okay. We thought so this so you can get was, more displacement.
3: We thought this was about a 305 or 308, but they pumped it here at Monterey, and it turns out it's a 299.
0: Okay, okay. so they did a PNG and g test. They did, right. Um, now, I know she got headers on her that look like an old set of Hedman headers. Is that what they are, or?
3: I found them on eBay. I looked for over a year, and there were no T-Birds headers that any man had at the time.
0: Well, i got to tell you, I have a 57 Thunderbird I had in high school since 1973, wow. and I had those exact tubes on my car.
3: Okay, that's And the guy that
0: it... put them on there put them on in the late 60s, So, and he said they were headmen, so I'm guessing that could be what they are. Probably. Which is cool.
3: I, I thought they looked really spiffy because they were wrapped. Mm-hmm. and then when we took the wraps off, we found out exactly how small it was, but they, they are period, and we're glad to have them. So
0: overall, how does the car perform? Pretty awesome. Uh Is it competitive in its class, and what do you race against?
3: We we raced against Corvettes. There were 38 cars in the group, and Les finished 13th. And the car was running poorly because of the failure of the MSD unit.
0: Well, we that took, puts you in the top 20%, so that's yeah, pretty good. Yeah,
3: track. it's very good. Yeah, now that's that's his talent, not mine.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, now let me So, for, for our listeners, how long is the track, and how long does it take you to get around the track?
3: It's about.
0: Just under four miles, isn't it?
3: No, it's only about two, eight, or two, nine. It's, it's under just, three miles. Oh, it's
0: under three miles. Okay, um,
3: a time I might have in, in one of my small board cars might be 205. Right. If I made it less than two, it would really be delightful. Okay. And he was um, down to around 156.
0: Okay, well that's pretty good. So
3: he yes he did he did very well.
0: And the car's consistent stops handles Con, well. Consistent stops and handles well. What did, it, you do we, what did you do about the brakes? The old drum brakes on this thing.
3: We purchased um, Turnpike Cruiser three inch wide brakes. Okay. They were also on police cruisers. Right. That have to be machined a little bit to make them fit. Okay. Um, and um, front and rear. Yes, front and okay. rear, and they work. But, but it's not a it's not a disc brake conversion. Okay. So to be to be legal in a in a um, a class like this, which is a production car, you cannot gut the car. You can't take all the glass off, and uh, well, I could take it out of the doors, but I, I could even also run it without a windscreen. But we elected to make it look like a street car, which it is. It's street legal.
0: Well, I'll tell you what I. It just in walking by casually, it looks pretty docile. It looks pretty stock, actually. It looks kind of like a little street high rod. So you did a real good job, and it's really hardly gonna molest them. I mean, you got door panels and thing. You got seats. You got dash. You got gauges. You got a little roll bar. Okay, you got some safety equipment in here. So for the most part, it looks pretty goddamn good to me. That's yes. what I would have done in my car back in the day.
3: <laughs> you still can.
0: Well, I want to thank you very much for taking a few minutes You're to bad. tell us a little bit about your Thunderbird, and uh, I wish you uh, a lot of success. Too Thanks much. for telling us a little thank bit. Thank you very much. Hey, guys, I'm sitting there standing next to this 57 Thunder we talked about earlier. Listen to this bad boy. That's the way an old Y-Block with to sound. This thing's amazing. It's got 12 and a half to one pistons in it. It's got pretty minor work, but it rides and handles super, super well. I want to thank John Miller for spending some time with me, showing me this car, and showing me the scrapbook and telling me the whole story about him and Chuck Day, who raced the old 57 Thunderbird on, on uh, Daytona back in the day in the 55 for Ford uh, and Lincoln Mercury. What an interesting car. What an interesting piece. Listen to this, bad boy. This gets the job done. We'll be back in a little bit. Okay, i tell you what. You know, we're here at Pebble Beach today, and uh, like I was telling you guys once before, there's just amazing array of cars here. There's an amazing array of people here. And I'm looking at the number 14 car, which is a 67 Ford GT40. The crowd's just all over the place. But the gentleman I'm standing with, his name is Phil Henney. And Phil Henney actually came to the United States in the late 60s, got hired by Carroll Shelby, and actually worked on this car for the 1966-1967 Le Mans 1966,
4: race. 24 hours at Le Mans, yes. Okay, so uh, I'm going
0: to welcome Phil to the show.
4: Phil, welcome to the show. Okay, thank you. You. Give us a little
0: background about you and your history and how you got Okay, involved. well, but I was
4: born in program. Switzerland, and uh, after an apprenticeship at uh, Bolex, the famous uh, camera um, uh, company, I, uh, I did a couple jobs with other racers, but the biggest uh, thing for me was to belong to the Filippini team, uh, team, the Scuderia, who at the time, George Filippini was a wealthy man who uh, didn't want any sponsor, Any you can see there are no sticker on the car, only his name. And... Uh, we had in uh, the team as many, a uh, Ferrari, Ford, Porsche. He will race anything. Sometimes we had races. We were, you know, competitors between each other at the race. But I was in charge of the, the Ford team for him, the Ford cars in 1966. And uh, here's the car. So it's in the original condition. We, the car ran very, very well at the race. Uh, within five hours before the end, we were fourth on uh, on the General classment and first in GT and uh, the last pit stop we did, one of the last one, uh, the person who is in charge to uh, do uh, the plumbing of the the refueling, you know, they put a little lead around mm-hmm. the refuel so you could not add or take uh, uh, fuel out of the, the tank, must have pushed back on it and reopened uh, the, t- the, gu- the fuel tank. The gas so, cap. The gas cap. So okay. when the, the driver took it the, from the, the pit, the first turns are the terre Rouge, and as soon as he brake, all the fuel came out on the window on the side of the car, and he crashed it there. Oh, really? So and and apparently so,
0: what happened is the latch came The open. latch
4: was open, and obviously the uh, instantly the uh, he didn't have any idea what happened. It was, you know, and very luckily the car did not burn. And so, but they had uh, a film of that, and it was a really big crash. It was probably in a... Uh, Second or third gear, what is a hundred plus a hundred plus miles an hour? Or so, wow! Yeah.
0: Now, subsequently, and, <clears throat> did the car race after that? Another races? Yeah, the car
4: was rebuilt and went to uh, to Monza, mm-hmm. and sa- and then uh, another couple of races. But in Monza, a year later, um, it was a young Swiss driver. The car was not a Filipino t- t- car; it was entered by the fi- the, the team, and uh, they had a fire there, who came out from the the carburetor. And nobody was there with extinguisher. And they have filmed. It was a tragedy to see the car burning almost to the ground, and everybody looking. They tried to put dirt on it and their shirt, and uh, and the car burned uh, almost to the ground. It was rebuilt twice after that, and it came to the state I think about uh, 28 years ago. One owner kept it for all those years down in Florida, and then uh, sold it to Mister Davies. With the last three years, we did. So you can see the condition of it. it it's it's uh, yeah, concourse quality. Yeah. It's amazing. But that's what the expert just asked today. Those car in the 60s, that's what Ford wanted for us to, be, to, to do the show. And they are, are, are as beautiful as that. You know, it's all... Shiny wheel or whatever, that's what it was because the, it was the, you know… The, a the, showpiece. A showpiece for the company in business. That's what they, they required from us.
0: Okay, yeah. so, so what you're saying basically is when this car raced, they wanted a perfect show car. And that's the way it was. Because it was representative yes. of Ford Motor Company back yeah. in the day. Okay, yeah. I understand. That's good.
4: It was a very big investment for Ford. You know, they went three years uh, before they won. Mm-hmm. And uh, as Carol Shelby uh, uh, said, you know, there was never any question about money. Whatever they needed, uh, Henry Ford would say, go ahead and do it. We had a problem with the transmission on the Mark II, and they had a meeting there. He told the guys, he said, even if you have to do the gears of that transmission in gold, do it. Okay, wow. Me and, me and, yeah, me and, you, you get to, you know, we want uh, the cars to finish the race, and we have to, whatever we have to do on it.
0: Now, you mentioned after you left Shelby and you, you weren't involved in the GT40 program, you ended up developing dry-sump systems because it was real popular in Europe, and Ford had it yes, yet. Yes. in On the 1968-69 cars, the Ford GTs. Did you help incorporate dry-sump systems in the Ford GT cars that Jackie X used uh, No, no,
4: no. This was probably the, the later it became the Mirage. the Mirage. So the Mirage was actually a... Uh, uh, A different car because it was still a 40 look, but the Mirage was taken by John Wire and they won Le Mans twice again in 68 and 69. The dry sump was something, as a machinist, because that's my uh, my apprenticeship. Uh, we needed to find a pump, and then we needed to redo the oil pan and all the tanks, whatever the combination of the dry sump is. And so the very lucky break I had, I just mentioned the name Al Barts to you. Al Barts was an engine uh, builder who had learned from Traco, you know, Jim Travers oh, yeah. and Jim... And then he quit Treco, started his own business, and his good timing was to uh, meet uh, Bruce McLaren at Treco, and then they got together, and he started doing his engines. So Albarth was the one who needed to be different, the dry sound, and so that's how he involved me into you know manufacturing and then first we did it for him and then within a few years everybody wanted it so i started my corporation and we start doing the the stamping of whatever the, the parts we need the machining and uh, i sold my corporation uh, eight years later i was the first one to do the uh, nascar nascar for many years at the wet sump mm-hmm. uh, they were very very conservative they kept you know, old mechanical, school. old school. Yep. And then the dry the, the sump became uh, regulation because uh, if an engine would blow up on a racetrack, you would uh, load, unload about 14 quarts of oil. On, the, on yeah. a dry sump, you only had a quart and a half. You, could, mm-hmm. uh, you didn't even stop the race or, or do a, a yellow flag. So, very lucky. My whole thing was always to be at the right time, at the right place in the States. You
0: did very well. And
4: enough. so, uh, it's amazing to be here, you know, 46 years later here with the car. Now you're so, writing books now, right? I, I started with a book on Carol Shelby called "Just Call Me Carol," and we did close to ten thousand books, and only selling it myself. It's amazing. Going to different uh, reunion, and I do it on uh, I'm on eBay and on uh, Amazon, uh-huh. and I just uh, I did the uh, Bob Bondurant uh, biography. And I put, just put all my book on uh, on ebook, and uh, so if you go to Amazon or uh, Barnes and Noble, you can find them. They are good books. I get a lot of five star on it, so. Well, mention uh, the website
0: too, and, the, and, and it's
4: Phil Henny. Like uh, I just said, Henny like Henny Penny H mm-hmm. E N N Y philhenny.com. Okay, well, and super. so yeah, I appreciate well, Phil, it.
0: Phil, I want to thank you for taking a few minutes to talk to us a little bit, share this information, the stories about the cars, <clears throat> and you know, it's really a great event here, at Pebble Beach. Yes, yes, it is, and uh, yeah. so. Uh, the last yep.
4: time I was here was with Carol Shelby four or five years ago when we did the presentation of the Ford GT, uh-huh. and uh, it was the last time uh, I spent a day with him. I saw him after after uh, uh, after that, but uh, spending time with him was right here just uh, six seven years ago. At so, Beach. Yeah.
0: Well, this and is so definitely the place to see and yes. experience all yeah. the history that's automotive yeah. because you have a true collage of car enthusiasts here. Yes, and again, yeah. thank you for taking okay. some time. Okay, appreciate it. You Wow, I got to tell you guys, that was just real interesting. Here, I spent the uh, last hour talking to Phil Henney about some amazing race stories stuff when he was racing in Europe, stuff when he was racing in the United States, when he was racing at Daytona. Uh, tell me Carol Shelby stories, tell me stories about Vic Alford, tell me stories about Bruce McLaren, telling me stories about uh, uh, Dan Gurney, just, just absolutely amazing stuff. Just really, just a just cool history. So, uh, you know, if you get a chance, check out some of his books. Just Google com, and uh, you'll find a bunch of information on him because he was actually there. So his books are real. We got into just some serious discussions about uh, GT40s and about what happened to some of the race cars, you know, after the races. Just amazing stories. And uh, I'm probably not at liberty to discuss some of the stuff that went on because there's a lot of confusion. Uh, but pick up his book. It'll be in the book. But uh, here today at, uh, at uh, Pebble and Beach, and a lot of the cars that are on the lawn are cars that were in Carmel of a couple of days ago at the uh, Tour de the Concours. God, I can't remember the name. I'll have to think of it here in a second. But anyway, so there's a lot of the same cars. It's really hard to get pictures because people are all over the place. But you just never know who you're going to be running into. I was just talking to Essel Ford the second a few minutes ago. We are talking about the GT40 program and some of the other stuff that's uh, going on here. Because Lincoln is one of the featured marks here. So there's a lot of Lincolns from uh, 1921 to all the way to present. Um, you got the uh, Eisenhower presidential limousines here. You've got... Uh, Barry Wolks here with his uh, Mark II convertible. Uh, uh, Rich Mitt from... national Lincoln parts depot he's here with his uh henry ford ii owned uh mark ii uh tons of alfa Romeos, tons of vinci For- ferraris duzenberg's cord auburn's uh, names i can't even pronounce so uh i'm gonna walk around some more and i'm gonna see if i can find some more interesting people to talk to get some pictures and we'll keep you guys apprised of what's going on here the uh, fog is starting to lift now a little bit it's starting to burn off the sun's coming out what a beautiful day here and uh in uh, Pebble Beach definitely have to put this on your uh, bucket list again I cannot overemphasize this so we'll catch up with you guys in a few minutes okay we're here in Pebble Beach still and uh, I'm looking at this stunning amazing looking uh, AC Frua a body um, it belongs to a gentleman by the name of Jim Feldman out of Portland Oregon and uh, Jim welcome to the show and tell us a little bit about your car Uh, In 1966-67, when DOT
5: was uh, started in the U.S., AC in England had 80 uh, 427 Cobra chassis that would have had to have the bodies restyled for headlight height, etc., to comply with the American market which was the main consumer of 427 Cobras. And instead of doing that, they commissioned Pietro Frua of Turin, Italy, to design a convertible and a fastback coupe to fit on the Cobra chassis, which AC in England, lengthened 6 inches, sent the chassis to... Frua's factory in Italy to be bodied, then the cars were shipped back to AC in England to be finished, mechanicals, etc. And this is, uh, they built 29 convertibles and 51 coupes out of the 80 chassis. This is one of 51 coupes.
0: Now, are these cars, aluminum-bodied, or are they steel? Steel. They are steel. Okay. Steel body. Even the doors and the fender, and the doors. Well, the mid- some
5: some of the doors and bonnets are aluminum. Okay. These are all steel. It was, uh, and and most of the cars had a 428 Ford motor and a uh, C6 transmission, automatic transmission. A few of the cars had manual transmissions, which. In a motor that produced 435 horsepower was kind of silly. I had one, and uh, you'd use second and third only in traffic, so you'd go from first to fourth, which was kind of clumsy. So the automatic transmission in this car is much friendlier, I think.
0: Okay, this car is also right-hand drive. Uh, is this something you found in Europe and brought over here? I did.
5: I got it in the U.K. and brought it over here about 30 years ago and just finished about a three-year restoration.
0: Now, you mentioned that you had other Bristols, too, because you kind of yeah, restore ACs. Uh,
5: I restore ACs, Ace Bristols, AC Ace, and AC Oseka Coupes professionally. have for about 30-plus years. Right.
0: What got you interested in the AC brand? Um, I used to be
5: the photographer for the Cascade Sports Car Club in Portland, Oregon, And the cars that were winning all of their races in the 50s and 60s were AC Ace, Bristol Roadsters. And uh, family-owned business, as was mine, started about the same year as my family business in about 1904, 1905. And I don't know, it was just something that happened.
0: And you just kind of got hooked on it ever since. I got
5: hooked on ACs. No one knew what they were. A lot of people still don't. But they've always been gorgeous cars. AC made more models of cars than any other manufacturer, and they were the first car manufacturer in the U.K.
0: Really? Bristol was? AC, AC was? AC.
5: AC. They started off as Auto Carrier, and around 1914, uh, they changed the name to AC. I've got a 1910 Auto Carrier three-wheeler.
0: Interesting. Did they build motorcycles too, or just no? A, no motorcycles. Just the little passenger they, they build, vehicles. There,
5: they every model, uh, uh, four door saloons or sedans, uh-huh. uh, sports cars, uh, tours in the '30s, competition cars in the '30s. Uh, every model of car.
0: That's interesting. I'm gonna have to read up on that a little bit because a very I don't
5: interesting. History.
0: Well, now, what about the club in America? Is there like an AC club in America? Well, I'm the I'm
5: the registrar for the AC club oh, in the okay. states, but there's no organization. People generally who have who own ACs have owned Porsches and Ferraris, Maseratis, and they own ACs because they just plain love the car. But Americans, generally speaking, well, in the UK too, they love the car, but they don't really. In the U.K., there's an active club, but not in the U.S.
0: I see. So how many are known to, uh, of this particular body here, this style, how many are known to still exist? Uh, I, I, I don't know.
5: The, the brochure for this event says there's about 60 of them. Really? But uh, unfortunately, some of these cars were broken up, and the chassis shortened and rebodied with a Cobra body.
0: Okay, I see what you're saying. Now to 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 be able to participate here at Pebble Beach, you're basically invited because the car is so unique and so special, correct?
5: Yes, that's right. Is and this? and the owner probably is is known to produce a quality product. Uh huh.
0: Well, you know what? It's a stunning car. Thank I you. want to thank you, Jim, for taking a few thank, minutes to my uh, tell us a little bit about your car because you got a great looking car, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much. Thanks. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, we're here at Pebble Beach, and I'm here with uh, drummer from uh, Pink Floyd, Nick Mason. Nick Mason's got an unbelievable collection of cars, and uh, Nick, I'd like to welcome you to the show, and tell us a
1: little bit about some of the cars you brought here today at Pebble Beach 2013. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, well, I bought two cars. I brought a pre-war Aston Martin, something people aren't yet generally familiar with. They tend to think that Aston Martin started with James Bond. Mm. Um, but it's a lovely car. It raced at Le Mans in 35. It was part of the team, the Le Mans team, that uh, won the the class and it finished 11th overall and um, and I bought a Ferrari a 250mm which was a Carrera Panamericana car which was the big road race that raced right from the bottom of Mexico to the top uh, very tough race and um, this was the highest finisher by a, a Mexican team so it's got uh, it's got a lovely history and um, uh, great thrill to have it here and even better to be give, get an award now, both cars won awards here today, right? They did, yeah. Okay, so the,
0: the, the Ferrari, the Carrera Pan-American car we're leaning against, tell us a little bit more about that car. As as well, it's,
1: it's got a great history, really, because um, the guys who raced it, as I say, who were Mexican, um, had raced the year before and were dissatisfied with the car they were running, which was a, an earlier Ferrari model. So they shipped the car back to Italy, but because of the import duty and the cost of importing a new car into it, uh, into Mexico, they actually got the factory to change all the numbers from the old car onto a new car and shipped it back out again, which I thought showed great spirit and uh, motor racing sort of uh, ingenuity. You currently vintage race both these cars, correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, not this car is fairly new to me, the Ferrari. Um, we uh, haven't really done much competition with it, but um, most of my cars compete. The, the, the Aston I've been racing for 30 years, and both my daughters have raced it, and my wife races it. Really? Yeah. So it's a family affair. Right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, better than a dog. How many other cars are the, <laughs> better than a dog? Okay. And it comes when you call it, too, it, right? Would it it does that, and it hopefully on a good day it even appreciates some value. Amazing. Which is so, more than you can say for a black Labrador. (laughs) Okay. So how many other cars do you have in your collection? Uh, um, Slightly movable feast, but let's say around 30. Okay. What are some of the more unique cars that you have? Well, the the, the ones that, the the one that people always talk about is the Ferrari GTO, 250 GTO, because it's now so valuable. Um, You know, I bought the car 38 years ago now. Uh, So the value's really never something I'm worried that much about. But I've got a couple of other uh, competition Ferraris, uh, 512S from 1970 that was used in the Steve McQueen Le Mans film. Oh, really? Uh, and a competition Daytona. But then I've got uh, a couple of other vintage race cars that I really like. The um, Bugatti Type 35B, which is the supercharged version of the race car. What uh, year would that be? 27, 1927. Um, and then a couple of earlier Bugattis, that, uh, the kids drive in particular. Um, what else? Maserati Birdcage. Uh,
0: oh, really. So your c- collection consists mainly
1: of, let's say, X racing cars. Yeah, uh, particularly Le Mans cars. Uh, if there's a sort of theme to what I collect, it's competition cars and it's Le Mans, because that was the big race that I always wanted to drive in, and I ended up driving in it. And I kept the cars, for instance, I kept the car, I drove there in 79 and 80. Mm, interesting. Now, when you were a little kid, were you Absolutely always interested in cars? Yeah. My father was, uh, uh, Bill Mason, Was a, uh, he worked for Shell, for their film unit, and he made films about motor racing and about cars, and he made a, a five-part series called The History of Motorsport, which is uh, still... You know, 40 years, 50 years later, it's still great. Were you able to go with your dad back in the day when you were... Yeah, yeah, he took me to Silverstone from when I was about seven or eight years old. Interesting. What was your first year that you attended in Le Mans? I didn't attend Le Mans until 79. I drove there for the first... When I drove there for the first time. Uh, But I went to Silverstone in 53, I should think. uh, 52, maybe, when it was straw bales in the tent with a man who fried sausages. That was it. What was your first car? First car was an Austin Seven Chummy, nineteen twenty seven. Twenty pounds, thirty dollars to you. Wow, that's amazing. Are there any cars out there that you really would
0: like to own that you haven't had a chance to buy yet that you'd like to maybe add to your collection? Something? Yes, please. almost everything on this field today. Almost everything on this <laughs> field. Okay. And is is
1: is Vintage racing—is that like a really big hobby of yours? I mean, that's it has hobby? been. I mean, I've started racing thirty odd years ago. Then I took up modern racing and did sort of long-distance sports cars for a while, and then have sort of come back to. Vintage racing. Were you uh, able to race here this weekend at uh, Lugan Seca? No, I did. I did that last time I came, and it's too difficult. Is you know, it really? Well, you're just rushing from one place to the other. You oh, know, because of all the events taking yeah, place during because the because There's recovery. the quail. There's this. There's you know. You find that the practice is on um, the wrong day, and so on. I just decided I'd really enjoy this element of it this time.
0: Okay. How about, like, over in Europe? What are some of the race trucks that you race on over there? Oh, everything. I mean, every uh, Spa,
1: so the, uh, Le Mans, Nürburgring, Silverstone, Goodwood. Place, uh, did you do the Mille Mille too? Yeah, I've done the Mille Mille. Yeah. Which car do you do the Mille Mille in? 1750 Alfa the and then a 2.3 Alfa. What's Kingdom, the most unique car that you have? By I don't really know. Uh, I mean, depends what one means by oh, unique, because um, you know, I've got a, a, the bird cages. Every bird cage is, bird cage is different, on so on Thursday, uh, it really it, in a a terms of uniqueness, uh, or possibly car. a 1901 Panhard, there aren't it's very many car. of them around. Mm-hmm. Um, on the basis of the it, it's it's almost. Um, it's a, it's a distraction talking about unique because the more unique the cars, it quite often means they weren't that great. What about street cars? What kind of street cars do you have that are kind of falling in the category of classic cars? Well, I've got a couple of um, Ferraris, I've got 599 GTO. Okay. Those are newer cars. How about going to get Older what? Sorry, oh, vintage uh, street cars. Street cars, not really. Oh, I've got no. a vintage Bentley, but it, okay. no, I don't really do street cars. Okay, uh, I don't like anything that's too practical. Okay, well, that makes sense. How about motorcycles? A few motorcycles, but... Um, Vintage as well? Uh, no, not really. Uh, there's something about kick-starting bikes that always seems really <laughs> tricky. Uh, I'm, I rely on bi- bike people to make motor racing look uh, mo- on four wheels look like a sensible thing to do. Okay.
0: Well, Nick, I want to thank you a few, for taking a few minutes to talk to us uh, here at Pebble Beach. and uh, pleasure. I'd love to have you on the show again sometime. Perhaps we can do a long-distance deal or the next yeah, time you are in the United sure.
1: States. Perhaps happy to. Well, yeah. super enjoy the rest okay. of the show, and
0: uh, thanks. best lot. of luck to you.
1: Okay.
0: Well, I'm still walking around Pebble Beach, and the uh, show is over. The awards are given out, and people are starting to leave. I'm standing next to this beautiful 77-930 out of North Carolina watching some of these amazing cars go by, Ferraris, Aston Martin, Hispano Sueza, Alfa Romeo, Porsche, just unbelievable marks, Delhaize, Delages, there's a, a batch of indie cars in the back there, didn't even get to see all the stuff, I was too busy uh, walking around talking to people, looking at cars, I mean, it's just really, truly an overwhelming event, And I gotta tell you guys, as I'm walking over here to the shoreline a little bit, overlooking the Monterey Peninsula here in the back off Pebble Beach, I know a lot about cars. I really do. But I'll tell you what, when I get to an event like this, I really realize that there's a lot more to learn. Some of these people are incredibly smart, incredibly knowledgeable, have a ton of historical background and information on all these cars. And what I know is minuscule compared to some of these people here, some of these professionals. Even like when we had Jay Leno on our show, which, by the way, he's coming on again. Jay Leno is just uh, an absolute car fanatic. He knows so much. But these guys eat, sleep, and drink cars. And... uh You know, my suggestion, my recommendation to everybody is pick a mark, pick a car, pick a brand, Ford, Chevy, Chrysler, BMW, Ferrari, Aston Martin, whatever. Learn as much as you possibly can about it. Be almost an authority on it. Enjoy the car, love the car, be passionate about the car. That's what's important. You know, I mean, come to an event like this and talk to the people who have all these cool cars and share the stories with them. Like uh, Jim Feldman, I just talked to a few minutes ago, you know, with his uh, AC, has been collecting ACs since for 40 years. He's probably the most foremost expert on ACs in the United States. Guys like that. But you know what? He sticks with one brand he's passionate about. He knows everything there is to know about it. By the way, those cars look kind of like a Monteverdi or kind of like a Ferrari Aston Martin looking kind of car. Just a really neat, cool GT car. So anyway, the bottom line is the event's just about over. Everybody's happy. Everybody had a great time. And uh, you know what? It'll be here in August of next year. Right now, it looks like everybody's packing up and getting ready to go to Gooding Auction because they got the second half of Gooding this evening. So stick around. We're going to wander over there and see what kind of crazy prices people are paying for amazing cars. We
5: chase our
1: pleasures here. Hi, this is Nick Mason from Pink Floyd, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
3: out of school, but there's a feller in there who'll pay you $10 if
5: you sing into his
4: can. Downtown Dave.
5: I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcasts me out on the
3: radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay.
1: Listen. You dumb cracker. Hey!